Hello, and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and this is the podcast where we look at elements of the scriptures that have made them become very real to us because we believe there's a real power that comes into our lives when the scriptures seem real to us. Today is a short cast where I'm just going to be doing this by myself, and uh, we're going to talk about the wrestle that Jacob has with an angel. That's something that I've talked about with other hosts and so on, but I want to look at a different element of this. We've talked a few times in this podcast about the Abrahamic sacrifice and about how that's a theme we're going to see keeps happening in the scriptures. Uh, We've seen it with Sarah. We've seen it with Abraham and Isaac. Now I think we're going to see it with Jacob. And I think we can understand this experience that Jacob has best if we see it in those terms and we'll talk about how then, since we all will have to make some kind of an Abrahamic sacrifice ourselves, how that might uh, make an impact uh, things for us. And as I've said, that, that will help it become very real for us. So to understand this, we're going to back up in the story a little bit. The, the story of the wrestle with the angel is in chapter 32. But to really understand that, we have to kind of see what's been happening even before that. By this time, Abraham, or uh, sorry, Jacob has left home. I, he's left because Esau was going to kill him because he tricked Isaac to obtain the birthright blessing. But as we talked about then, I think that's really I, Jacob and Rachel trying to do God's will and make God's will happen. And so you can see that he has to leave home and he will never see his mother again or his father again. When he leaves, they think it's going to be for a little while, but they don't. He leaves everything behind really because he did God's will, because he was uh, willing to do what needed to happen in order for God's will to happen, even though that made his brother Esau very, very mad at him. Then he comes and he marries uh, Leah and Rachel and their uh, their two servants, and he works, and uh, Laban keeps his brother-in-law slash, well, his, I mean, sorry, his father-in-law, also cousin, um, keeps changing his wages, but the Lord is with him and keeps helping him, and, and he's blessed and so on. But uh, he's getting so wealthy, and in some ways that's at Laban's expense, that Laban is getting unhappy. So we see here in chapter 31 um, that you see Laban's sons saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's. And this impacts them because this is their inheritance that is disappearing and going to him. That's because uh, the way he's getting paid is the cows that look a certain way or sheep that look a certain way he gets. That means they don't get them, right? Uh, So... When Jacob, in verse 2, Jacob beheld the countenance of Laban has, has fallen. But then the important one is verse 3. Verse 3 of chapter 31, God said, well, it says, And the Lord said, so Jehovah says unto Jacob, Return unto the land of thy fathers and to thy kindred, and I will be with thee. Now, that's, uh, that's pretty important stuff, because remember that the reason he left is because Esau was going to kill him. And as far as he knows, nothing has changed. He's never heard word from his parents. You know, remember Rebecca said it'd just be a few years. I'm guessing Rebecca died not too long after that. I don't know if he's heard that she's died or not. You would think word would come to him and to uh, her family that he's staying with. He's staying with her brother, right? Laban's his uncle. Um, And uh, so you'd you'd think he would have heard this, but uh, really... We don't know. So in any case, as far as he knows, Esau still wants to kill him. But God has said, go back. 
And so when we see everything that happens after this, remember that it's happening because God told Jacob to go back and Jacob is going to go back since that's what God told him, even though it becomes very clear, he is still really worried that Esau will kill him. So he has this kind of conference with his, his wives and they say, yep, let's, let's go back. Um, and uh, let's, let's go down to verse 11. And the angel of God spake unto me in a dream, saying, and I said, here am I. And he said, lift up now thine eyes and see all the rams which leap upon the cattle or ring straked and gristled and so on. So he kind of reviews uh, what he's done for him. He reviews in verse 13 that he's the God that made a covenant with him at Bethel and, and so on. And that's when they decide that they, that as a family, they all decide to go. So Jacob's determined to do God's will, but he also has this family council and his family uh, decides that they are going to do God's will. So we get uh, them all and everything they have, their, their son, his sons and daughters and uh, wives and cattle and goods and everything. And they leave. They don't even tell Laban they're leaving. Laban chases after them, but he's warned, don't do anything to these guys. Uh, and so he takes that seriously. And, um, and so then Laban says goodbye to his daughters. Now we get into chapter 32. And we see in, in verse one, Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him. Then when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's host. And he called the name of the place Mahanaim, which means two camps, basically. But now let's start to look and we will see how real this fear is for Jacob. He is truly afraid that Esau is going to kill him. Now, remember, Esau has inherited everything Isaac had. Isaac inherited everything Abraham had. Abraham had a large enough household and goods and everything else to mount a military expedition to rescue Lot. And it's only increased since then. So Jacob has a lot, but Esau has a lot more. And Jacob knows it, and he knows that if Esau wants to kill him, he can. So we get in verse 3, And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother unto the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Thus shall ye speak unto my lord Esau, thy servant Jacob, and this is that kind of um, phraseology that you use when you are trying to show someone is inferior and someone is superior. We have this in lots of correspondence. You say, I am thy servant. So Jacob is, is painting this out, even though the blessing was about him being in, uh, the, the leader and uh, Esau serving him, the blessing that was promised to Rebekah, the blessing that Isaac gave him, Jacob is calling himself Esau's servant. He's willing to be the servant. Uh, there's really some great lessons to learn from there. But anyway, uh, thy servant Jacob saith thus, I have sojourned with labor and stayed there until now. And I have oxen and asses and flocks and men servant and women servants. And I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find grace in thy sight. In other words, he's saying, I'm not coming to claim this inheritance that you're willing to kill me over. Uh, let's not fight over the inheritance. I have enough you can keep that inheritance that you got that was supposed to be mine, by the way, but you can keep it uh, because I don't need it. So that's what he's trying to say. And then we get verse six, and the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to thy brother Esau, and also he cometh to meet thee and 400 men with him. Now, you don't come with 400 men if you're just coming to say, hey, brother, welcome back. Right, that's got to scare the dickens out of Jacob. And 400 men is enough to destroy, easily kill his entire family, and that's what he is afraid 
is going to happen. So look at what he does in the next verse. Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that was with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two bands and said, if Esau come to, uh, to the one company and smite it, then the other company, which is left, shall escape. Can you imagine as, as a parent, think of what Jacob is doing. He's saying, well, let's at least divide my family and everything into two. And I'm hoping at least half survive. How do you divide that up? Who do you put in which group? And, and what do you say to them saying, I hope you're the half that survives. Well, I hope you both survive. I don't know. I mean, that, this is, is incredibly heartrending. This is terrible stuff. And he is doing this. This shows you how real the fear is for Jacob that his family's not going to survive this. But he's doing it because God asked him to. If it were not for that, I think he wouldn't come down here into this place because he's so afraid that his family will die. But he is so, and this is why I think it's an Abrahamic sacrifice. He is willing to do what God has asked him to do, even though he believes it will result in the death of at least half his family and probably all of his family. So he's done what he can by sending nice words and a nice envoy to Esau. Seems like that hasn't worked. He's dividing his family in half, hoping half can survive. Now we get in verse nine, where he's going to appeal to the fact that he is doing God's work and he is keeping the covenant. And Jacob said, oh, God of my father, Abraham, and God of my father, Isaac. That's, that's appealing to the covenant. These are the people who the covenant was with. The Lord, which says to me, return unto thy country, unto thy kindred, and I will dwell with thee. So he's saying, I'm doing this because you told me to. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth. See, it's not just mercy. It's not just blessing and cattle and sheep and so on. Mercies and truth covenants and truth that he's received. So I'm not worthy of all that, which thou shoot unto thy servant for with my staff, I pass over this Jordan. So when he crossed over Jordan on his way to Syria, all he owned was the staff. And now I am become two bands, right? So much that he can divide it into two large bands. So he's saying, I, I'm not worthy of the great blessings you've given me truth or prosperity, family, and everything else. He's basically going through the blessings of the Abrahamic covenant and saying, I've received these. I've kept the covenant. I'm doing your will. I know I'm not worthy of the blessings of the covenant, but I've received them, which is another way in a way of saying, but I've been keeping the covenant. Now we get to his asking, deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. You see his fear. And now he's got the same question Abraham had. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he's saying, you know, you told me that I would have innumerable posterity as part of the covenant. You've given me all the other blessings of the covenant. It seems like you've given me this, but they're about to die. How does this happen? How does this work? So he really doesn't understand how this is going to work. He's praying like crazy that it will work out, but he's moving forward doing God's will. He's doing everything he can think of. And he's praying to God. So he's done stuff he can think of. He's prayed to God. Now he thinks of more things and he's going to do more things. So he lodges there that night and he sends gifts to Esau. First of all, there's going to be a group of 200 she goats and 20 he goats to go out with 20 ewes and 20 rams. And then there are milk camels with their colts and 40 kind that's cows and 10 bulls, 20 she asses, 10 foals. 
and he delivers them into the hands of his servants. And he says, keep going. I want one group and then another group and then another group and another group so that Esau just encounters one group. And when my brother Esau meets you and he asks, whose are these and, and what's going on? Thou shalt say, they be thy servants, Jacob's. It's a present sent unto my Lord Esau. Uh, and behold, he's behind us. So he's going to get present after present after present after present after present, which should both make him happy and help him see Jacob isn't here to steal this inheritance. He's got his own stuff, and he's actually happy to add to your inheritance, and he's coming. All of this, this is everything he can think of doing to assuage Esau, hoping that Esau and his 400 men won't kill his family. But that's what it seems like is going to happen, and that's why he's in this predicament. So he sends all of them out, and he's hoping it will appease Esau. So after sending all of these gifts and everything else, he rises up that night with his two wives and his women servants, and he passes over the ford of Jabbok. That's the, the Jabbok River. He's sending them over the brook and, and sends over everything that he has. So you can see here the Jabbok River. It goes through modern Jordan. It's one of the big dividing lines between territories in ancient times. Uh, it goes through modern Jordan and down into and feeds into the, the Jordan River, uh, but it goes through the modern country of Jordan, and you can see it's it's quite steep, very, very steep most of the, the way, uh, and not easy to pass over, certainly not with children and groups of sheep and so on. Most of this is just a winding river going through a mountain, and you can't do it, but there are places where it's uh, well, really one place that I know. I don't know the river tremendously well, but I've followed it for quite a bit of its length. Um, and uh, there are places where it gets just a little shallower uh, and it's not quite as steep around. Still some rapids, but it it's also can be peaceful and there are places where you can pass. Sadly, today there's so much pollution, it's, it's kind of nasty water, but there are places where you can get across and it's a little less steep. And so that's, that's worth understanding uh, and being able to try and picture in your mind uh, as you, you think about this, that there are only a couple of places where there are fords, where you can have the ford of Jabbok. So that's what happens is Jacob uh, sends everyone across, all these gifts, and then everyone across. And then we get verse 24, and Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. Now, we want to talk about that wrestling but to understand the wrestling correctly, I think we need to talk about the, uh, the Abrahamic sacrifice element of this. So let's just review quickly and then see if we can, uh, I want to share a story that when this became very real for me, and I hope it makes it more real for you and more applicable for you. Let's just review. Jacob left because uh, he, he was told to, he left uh, Canaan. He is coming back because he was told to. He is scared to death that his family will all be killed, but he's doing it because God asked him to. He would go a different way, uh, I think, into a different place if it wasn't for the fact that God asked him to. So he is literally ready to sacrifice his family, though he desperately wants for that not to happen. He's literally willing to sacrifice his family if that's what God wants him to do, but he's now going to stop and pray. He has done everything he can everything he could think of doing and then prayed. And then he thought of more things to do and he did all of that. And now he's praying, right? He is praying to have his family spared. That's an Abrahamic sacrifice. Now, I want to tell you a story about a time when uh, I was at the Jabbok River. And, and for those of you who can see this picture, you can see some students there. And uh, here's even a picture where you can see my wife kind of out uh, praying by the river. But um, 
uh, my family was here and we were on these rocks by this place where it would be a good place to ford the river. And as I was talking about and teaching about the Abrahamic sacrifice and then had a moment to ponder, I thought about my father. My father would die uh, almost, this was in, uh, I think, June, or somewhere around June. I think it was June of 2016. My father would die June of 2017, so about a year later. He would die from complications uh, having to do with Parkinson's. He had been suffering with Parkinson's for a long time. And I thought about my father and the suffering that I had been witnessing him go through for about 15 years at that point. Well, uh, yeah, I guess about 13 years, something like that. Um, and uh, he was, he was a, an, an inspiration to me as I saw him go through this suffering. And I asked myself, uh, it, I felt like it was an Abrahamic sacrifice, but I asked myself, how is this an Abrahamic sacrifice? He didn't, God didn't ask him if he would do this. This just came upon him. But as I thought about the way he did it and, and uh, conversations I'd had with him or I'd seen him have with uh, spiritual leaders that came by, missionaries that came by, uh, my father didn't ask why me. He did ask some why questions. He asked questions like, um, what am I supposed to learn from this? What, uh, God has given this to me. Why, why is this happening? What should I learn from this? Why does my family have to suffer as they try to take care of me? And uh, what can I do to make this as good as possible for them? Uh, and so on. So not the why me, like, why would you do this to me, God? But the why is this happening? What should come from this? I was particularly touched by how much he wanted to, to alleviate the suffering of his family as they were trying to help him with his suffering. And he didn't want that for that to happen. And I saw him do so many things. Uh, to try and make it so that people wouldn't have to take care of him and, and uh, try and uplift when they were around him rather than, than uh, have them kind of be pulled down. He wanted to uplift his grandchildren, especially. Uh, I'll just share one story that, that will give you an idea of how this was for him. And I think it's very much like Jacob, who is pleading for his family, God, I'm doing your will, but my family's suffering as a result of maybe going to die as a result. And I don't like that please, can we change that? So just before my father died, and this is actually uh, the kind of the fall that started the process that would culminate in his death, he wasn't supposed to get up and walk on his own. He was supposed to use a walker and things like that, but he was, uh, he just, he didn't take any of that. He was fighting Parkinson's and, and wasn't taking any of that lightly. So he'd get up and walk around uh, on his own because he wanted to, even though he'd been told not to. Uh, additionally, for people who suffer from Parkinson's often during the night, they feel like they have to get up and walk around. And so he'd do that and he wouldn't use his walker because he just wanted to walk as much and as long as he could. So one night in the middle of the night, as he was walking on his own, um, he fell. He fell and hit his uh, head uh, on a leg of a chair that had wheels on it, and, and it cut his head, and so he's bleeding quite a bit, and he broke his back. We didn't know that immediately, but he broke his back. Um, I had a, a nephew, their grandson that was living uh, there at the time, who had a job where he, for delivery where he'd get up really early. So at about 4 a.m., he got up, and he heard just so softly my dad calling, help is anyone there? Can, can you help? And so he came out and found him bleeding. And well, at that point, the blood was drying and uh, with his back broken, which he didn't know. Uh, and he asked him, why are you calling so quietly? And he said, well, I didn't want to wake up grandma. So my mom, his wife, I didn't want to wake her up and, and, and make her lose sleep. So I've just been calling loud enough so that when she is awake, she'll hear me. All right. That's, that's where he was at in terms of not wanting to cause problems for his family. 
And so I asked myself, how is this an Abrahamic sacrifice for him? It's not whether he gets to choose whether he'll do it. Abraham and Jacob, and, and in a way, Isaac, God asked them if they would do this, and they chose to do it. And if they'd chosen to do something else, then they could have chosen to do something else. For many people, like my father who suffered from Parkinson's or someone who has cancer or MS or ALS or uh, anxiety or all sorts of other afflictions that come upon us, it's, it's not a choice whether you will do it or not. The question is what you do with it when it comes when God gives it to you, will you fight against God, in which case you're not accepting his will? Or will you say, I understand this has come upon me, maybe even not because it's God's will, but because it's a fallen world, but I understand God's will. And I want to, to better understand his will and what I can learn from this and what I can get out of this. I had to ask myself, as I watched my father go through this, uh, and I didn't have a choice as to whether he was going to go through it or not. I had to ask myself, am I going to be bitter about this or am I going to, to accept this and try and learn from it and become a better person as a result? And my father had to do the same thing. So I, I think, I hope not, but I suspect there are probably greater Abrahamic sacrifices ahead for me, but that was an Abrahamic sacrifice for me to be able to accept uh, uh, with serenity and with um, faith in God and a desire to learn God's will and learn from this as I watched this suffering that my father went through. That was a kind of an Abrahamic sacrifice for me. And I realized that here on the Jabbok River, uh, it became so meaningful to me that this became, it was already one of my favorite stories, but it became even more one of my favorite stories. The song that we sang there that nearer my God to thee, which has all these elements of Jacob's uh, Bethel experience and experience here at Peniel. Uh, it, that became my favorite song at that moment as I realized that uh, the Abrahamic sacrifice looks a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. But the question is, um, what do we do when we're asked to make like our largest or even uh, midstream uh, Abrahamic sacrifices? What do we do with that? And I think it is because Jacob was so willing to make the Abrahamic sacrifice that he has the rest of the story, the rest of the experience that happens here. Because if we look at this, we, we see that he wrestles with this angel. Uh, we've talked before, messengers, uh, what does that mean? Uh, this doesn't seem to be a, a physical, normal human messenger because uh, of the, the way the story happens. It doesn't seem like it. Joseph Smith tells us that uh, angels only pertain to this world, but this really seems to be a physical wrestle because he puts Jacob's thigh out of joint. The text is pretty specific about that. He's going to limp on it and so on. Uh, so it must be someone with a being, so uh, with a physical body. So this is pre-resurrection. So it can't be an angel that is about to come here, or an angel, to, you know, to be born on this earth, that or an angel, uh, a being that's already born on this earth and died. Uh, so this must be a translated being. I kind of picture this as an all-star wrestler from the city of Enoch, but in any case, he he wrestles with this being, and we see that. Uh, that Jacob doesn't, well, the, the Jacob isn't winning, but neither is this, this messenger. So when the messenger in verse 23 sees that he doesn't prevail against Jacob, he touched the hollow of his thigh and the hollow of Jacob's thigh is put out of joint. So he kind of cheats, right? And then he says to Jacob, even with that, he can't get away. 
And he said, let me go for the day breaketh. And Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. So this is the great characteristic or hallmark of Jacob. He was born this way, right? He's born holding on to his brother's ankle, and he's going to nearly die here holding on to this angel's uh, leg or ankle or something, but holding on to this angel and not willing to let go. And we've seen it, it. He's not willing to let go in terms of any of the things that God wants him to do. If he has to um, because he's learned that it's God's will for him to receive this birthright blessing if he has to with his mother engage in some deceit, and this makes it so he has to leave home because his brother hates him, he's going to do that. If he has to deal with having uh, Laban change who he's going to marry and all sorts of other things about his wages uh, all along, Jacob's going to hang on through there. If he's going to have to go home, because God asked him to, even though it seems like his family is going to be killed, he's going to hang on through that, and he's going to ask for this blessing, and he's not going to stop until he gets it. So, for example, uh, Joseph Smith tells us that we must trust, uh, struggle uh, and show God that we're determined to serve him at all hands, hazards. Or uh, Brigham Young talks about us struggling and wrestling and striving uh, with God until God bursts the veil and we behold his, his glory or a portion of it. Uh, I think that's what's going on here. It's a real wrestle, but so often in the Old Testament, we have real physical things happening that happen in a way that is also symbolic. And I think this symbolically teaches us that we will, in these Abrahamic sacrifices, in the things God asks of us, we need to hang on and wrestle and struggle to align our will with God and to do his will and to understand and to come to him and, and struggle and wrestle with God in that way, in a good way, not in a bad way, right? But in a good way until we do understand and then we prevail. So we, we get that where Jacob says, I'm not going to let you go except thou bless me. And then interestingly in verse 27, he says, what is thy name? And he said, Jacob, now look at verse 28. This is so significant. He said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and has prevailed. Israel's name, uh, this, this name of Israel, it, it means, literally it seems to mean he will prevail. So the question is, does this mean Jacob will prevail with God? Uh, or, uh, and it has this, he will, he'll prevail with God kind of connotation, right? So does it mean, it can be taken as God will prevail or uh, Jacob will prevail with God. And my guess would be that it's, it's vague because both meanings are intended. That beca because God will prevail in Jacob's life, Jacob will prevail with God and obtain the blessing that he's looking for. And we have this great talk that was given recently by President Nelson, uh, God will prevail. I think that was given, uh, what, in October 2020 conference, where uh, he talks about how we need to let God prevail in our lives. It was the inspiration for my book, uh, God Will Prevail. So uh, President Nelson's talk was Let God Prevail. So my book uh, was named God Will Prevail. And so we, we get um, in this, uh, uh, this idea that we need to have God, allow God to prevail in our lives, and then we prevail. Now, because that's happened for Jacob, Let's see what happens after this in verse 29. And Jacob asked him and said, tell me, I pray thee thy name. So Jacob's name has just been changed. So even before we get into the, the learning the angel's name, let's think about this. Jacob's name is changed because he is being changed. So he's already entered into the covenant at Bethel, uh, but he's entered into it more as we get to uh, this stage at Peniel, the Jabbok River. So 
He's somehow entering into it further. He's having a change. And the change is so significant that he receives a new name, which is indicative of him becoming a new person as he's he's having this significant change. So he has this change. Then he asked the, the angel's name. And the angel said, wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Now that's significant, but look at the next thing. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, which means like the, the face of God. And he says, for I've seen God face to face and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, so after this, it gets called Penuel, which is maybe a slight change, maybe something like his face is God or he, something about his and, and the face of God. Um, but but uh, he indicates that he's seen God there. Also in, in uh, Genesis 48, verse 16, when he's blessing his sons and grandsons, he talks about the angel that redeemed him. Uh, and so it seems like that God, Jacob is wrestling with an angel, but at some point he sees Jehovah here and, uh, and it receives a blessing. My, my friend and colleague, Andrew Skinner, who we've had on this podcast before, and I hope we'll have again, he argues that Jacob has his client and election made sure here. And I think he argues it fairly convincingly. Um, but I think we should uh, stop and think about this and what the Abrahamic covenant may look like. I mean, the Abrahamic sacrifice may look like in our life. I hope uh, that this is becoming a little more real for you as you see what Jacob went through and you can think about it in terms of what that may look like in our families and our lives. Um, and we recognize that as we are willing to make the Abrahamic sacrifice, or in other words, let God prevail in our lives, that then God enables us to prevail. So for example, did my father prevail over Parkinson's? In some ways, no. He died, but in some ways, yes, he's free now and uh, had some experiences right towards the end of his life that makes me think he's in a very good place and, uh, and uh, that because God prevailed in his life, he is now prevailing in all sorts of ways. That's what's supposed to happen for all of us. And so it's my prayer that the Lord or that we will struggle and wrestle with ourselves. There's a self-wrestling struggle that we have to go through so that we will then allow the Lord to prevail in our lives, and then God will cause us to prevail. It's my prayer that we will win in our self-struggle and ask God's help to allow us to win in that self-struggle so that he prevails, and my testimony that when that happens, that he will prevail and help us to prevail in amazing ways. Both that prayer and that testimony, I say in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.